I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. Today's guest is Kim. She has leukemia. Let's talk about it. This will be uh, really fun. We're hanging out with um, our new friend, Kim Eagle, who is uh, living in the U.S., in Pennsylvania, uh, in particular in a, pl- a spot in Pennsylvania that is uh, produces 50% of all the mushrooms grown in the country of the United States of America. That's a fun little factoid. I, like, I, I'm picturing this town, and what I picture, I know is not the truth, but what I'm picturing is like this this magical, mystical mushroom land, like something you'd see out of Alice in Wonderland. But I'm sure it it's really just... Is. Oh, fuck off. They Do you have mushroom houses? mushroom as the symbol of the town. Are you so serious? So that I am dead serious. <laughs> there is like a main street called State Street and they shut it down on New Year's Eve and they do a mushroom drop instead of a ball oh, drop. There's what? a giant LED mushroom. I kid you not. I drop mushrooms on New Year's Eve too. <laughs> hey uh, oh. that's that's really funny, but not those type of mushrooms. You like it's interesting. We're talking like shiitake mushrooms, cremini, portobellos, sister lion's mane. Yeah, sweet. I, but, I wonder is like I mean this has nothing to do with the fucking show, but I'm so curious like is it just the soil or is it just like that they were like let's you let's like, you can grow mushrooms anywhere in the U.S., so let's just do it here. I don't know. It's been this way for hundreds of years. It, it must be something with the soil. Yeah. Do you guys have, like, do you guys have a lot of, like, old-growth forest and shit in, in your area? Like, is yeah. there? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. the trees outside of our place that kind of give me the heebie-jeebies, they're, like, 50, 60 feet tall. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, crazy. Lots yeah. of old forest. Do you, I mean, have a, do you live in a mushroom house? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. I have I mean, not seen a mushroom house. Maybe someone has tried. Oh, weird. I would have thought I would have thought there would have been some. Yeah, at least. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh Kim, I'm I'm excited to talk to you because um uh it's always uh it's always uh very I got to watch what I say here. I was going to say it's always really nice to, or it's always very fun to, but like those, those really aren't the words that I want to use, but, but it is always really for us a pleasure to talk to someone who unfortunately has had, um, a very, a very, uh, complicated, complicated and broad history with, with cancer. Um, and, um, we, we've actually, we're doing a whole batch of recordings, um, in preparation for Taylor taking some time off when he has a a BB and, um, we've been, yeah. And we've been, we've been doing a a kind of a bit more cancer conversations than we've had in recent past. And so, uh, but you, you, you really stand out. Your, your application was quite interesting because you are like, uh, you're like, you're like the Pokemon. Uh, you, you're you're like playing the game of Pokemon with cancer. Like you're really just trying to catch them all. 
and uh, yeah. and, uh, and and you've been doing this your entire. You're like a veteran. You're a veteran Pokemon uh, hunter of of cancers yeah. because you've been you, you're 29 years old and you've had cancer all throughout your life and all different cancers. Yeah. Why don't you run us through that? What what where did this all begin? Well, and and I guess we'll kind of what like go through. What inspired you? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. To get cancer. <laughs> uh, I think it started when I had like just turned six years old. So I don't really remember the genesis, but like as it has been told by my parents, I went to half day kindergarten in the US. So when I started first grade, I was coming home and the stereotypical like blood cancer symptoms, I would just sleep for hours. Mm. And then the bruises started coming and I started having difficult difficulty breathing. So they took me to my pediatrician and they were like, you got to get this bitch to the hospital right away. <laughs> so that's how they discovered my leukemia. And, and that's a big thing in the mushroom. That's a big thing in the mushroom. Bitch. The mushroom town, like they, that, um, a six-year-old female, is referred to as a bitch. We all, we all know this. Um, uh, it's a cultural thing, folks. Just fucking relax, all right? Anyway, continue. I could call myself a bitch. <laughs> I knew myself back then. No, I was a very good kid. Very good kid. But yeah, I was initially misdiagnosed with Lyme's disease. So I was Whoa. on steroids for a, a while, I think like maybe four to six weeks, which when you have a cancer as aggressive as leukemia is like time that you don't want to waste. No, so after yeah. I came off the steroids and the symptoms started coming back, they realized they got it wrong. And I started chemo almost wow. right away. I mean, not, not that like, not that Lyme disease is, is anything uh, minor, you know, like Lyme disease sucks, but Jesus Christ, the difference between... Lyme disease and and leukemia, like that is that, that is a wild misdiagnosis. Do you, do you know how? Like I know you were six; it was a long time ago. But like, do you know how the fuck that that, that mistake happened? happened? Yeah, like that seems like a big misstep. I know. So that was twenty five years ago, almost at yeah. this point. And the leaps and bounds that research and testing has come in that time, sure. as well as treatment. Like for instance, I had. AML, acute myeloid leukemia. There's two types. The other is ALL. And one of them is it comes in hard and fast. It needs to be treated hard and fast. And the other is a little bit more drawn out, a little bit less serious. I was given a 10% chance of survival. That's what my parents were told. And nowadays, that same cancer, it's in the 90s. Whoa. Wow. 25 years like wow. makes That's all crazy. the difference. <laughs> well, it really does. Not, yeah, to, I mean. not to speculate here too much, but like um, I can probably tell why you had a misdiagnosis of Lyme's disease because, yeah, um, you know, when you have a pediatrician that refers to a six-year-old as a bitch, it's yeah, they're yeah, probably yeah, not yeah. very good at their job. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so like they maybe yeah. just referred you to the wrong Again, specialist. Brian, it's cultural, dude. It Like it's a cultural <laughs> thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 never mind. Never mind. I'm probably wrong. I'm a swearer. <laughs> if that is a problem, I will... Tampa yeah, back, yeah. Can you can you fucking please fucking dial it back like a fucking notch or two? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! It's like you've um, been listening to them long enough. It's not a problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, a woman. just don't say the word cock. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! That's Brian. it. That's the one word that we don't like. I I love it. Um, so leukemia at age eight, on a navy ship, you know, <laughs> yeah, just sailors, just, just sailors. No, um, so leukemia at age six, and and of course, <clears throat> you know that. So there's this misstep in di- misdiagnosing you when they when when you do end up with the diagnosis of leukemia like how how as a, at a, at 6 years old i mean i'm sure it's probably similar uh, uh, 
Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's not similar to a, an adult having a, um, not at leukemia. All. But, but like, how do they treat a six-year-old with leukemia? What's the what is the regimen? Uh, chemotherapy, sometimes radiation, not in my case for that cancer, hmm. and a bone marrow transplant, which oh, wow. I don't know is always needed nowadays. But for me, it was. And my brother, who was two years old at the time, turned out to be a perfect allele match and oh, was oh. my bone marrow donor. Dude, I was going to say, you. imagine, fuck. I was going to say, imagine doing a bone marrow transplant on a six-year-old's bones. But then when you said your brother was <laughs> yeah. two and was a perfect match, do they have a, do they like put a needle in your brother's little, little, little bones? Baby needle, yeah. To get, yeah. to get the I bone mean, marrow? I mean, he was under... <laughs> And then after he came out of anesthesia and had recovered, you know, like two, three hours until you're moving around again, my parents were asking the doctor, like, how did he do? Is he going to be okay? And at the same time, my brother goes flying by on like one of those little self pedal carts in the hallway. And the doc was like, he's going to be just fine. Uh, (laughs) And just, just, just remind us, because we've, we've talked about bone marrow transplant before, but um, how does it work again? Do, do you, do you recall like how it's basically stem cells, right? So they are taking healthy stem cells. Nowadays, if your stem cells are healthy before you start chemo, they can take your own bone marrow and transplant it back into you later. I have a friend's kid who's going mm. through that right now. I don't think mm. that was an option for me. I don't right. think my, my stem cells were healthy. So they basically shoot that stuff back into the factory and the factory starts cranking out the new stuff instead of the old stuff. Mm. It wipes your entire immune system. It does a lot of stuff to you. There's a nasty thing called graft versus host disease you guys yes. are probably yeah. familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. It can cause that. Luckily, I didn't have any experiences with that. Now, yeah. I, I, I can imagine that at six years old, I mean, six years old, going through any medical procedures, um, you know, it's pretty tough. And, and I, I can speak to that in terms of like experiences that I've had, uh, getting sick with CF as a kid. Um, do you, do you have any, do you have any memory of like, you know, how, how traumatic that experience was for you? And, and if so, like, was that something that kind of carried, carried on in your life that, that, that the trauma that came with that or, or was it, you know, did you kind of just glide through it? It was a shitty time, but you moved on. I, I can speak to that a lot because I've obviously done a lot of self-reflection at each cancer milestone in my life. Um, I don't really recall any trauma symptoms. I recall feeling different from my classmates when I bet, went back. Obviously, I was bald. I got asked if I was a boy now a lot yeah, right. because second graders they don't understand. They don't know what to do. I don't know how much my teacher had prepped them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have like really good memories for the most part of being in the hospital because it was a pediatric hospital geared for children where they provided activities. I got one-on-one tutoring. I came back ahead of my class, even Mm -hmm. though I was probably only doing like five hours of schoolwork a week for Mm -hmm. about a year. Um, I remember though, like two negative memories stand out to me. One, I got in trouble for kicking a male nurse in the balls because he told me that I couldn't go home for my birthday because my counts weren't there. And if you like, now that you're going to have a kid, Taylor, you're going to see in every Disney movie, there is a nut shot 
We are teaching children. Yes. This is hilarious and acceptable. Yes. So yes. I take no blame for this. But obviously, I got I in mean, trouble. It is hilarious. It's not acceptable, it, it, but it, it is, is hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Acceptable. Yeah, it depends. I mean, you know, the guy said he couldn't go home for your birthday. You might as well kick him in the nuts. You know what's funny is that really doesn't change to it as you grow up, like watching the recent Jackass movie and seeing how many yeah. nut shots. That's there. a focal like, point. It's just like yeah. you know, like. I yeah. now I know where that comes from. And yeah. I laughed Disney really, movies. really hard. <laughs> yeah. Was it, how was, uh, how did, how was your cancer and, and, you know, what might, what it might do? How was that explained to you or was it explained to you? I really don't. If they did, I don't remember it because the risk center of your brain it's just not even there as a six-year-old. Like think about the stuff you're doing with your bike, like jumping yeah. off of curbs and stuff as a six-year-old. You're not thinking about the what ifs. And I noticed the difference in how I perceived my own cancer scary, scariness differently being six, 15, and then 28. Yeah. Very, very differently because of how that risk center of my brain had developed at each of those stages. So there what like, what, like, there wasn't, um, you know, did, did you, did, so, so your, your parents or, or doctors, did they, did they ever, uh, did they, did they attempt to kind of give you any info, like, you know, explain, you know, why you're in the hospital, why you are just, being subject really to all these sick. tests. You're really sick. Yeah. Just we really got to do this stuff and it's going to suck, but you're going to get to drink a milkshake every day. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just, I remember the milkshakes and the good stuff. And I don't know if that is the protective tendencies of a child's brain to do that mm -hmm. or whether it just really was like that. Mm -hmm. But the other bad memory was uh, being too tired from chemo to actually open presents on Christmas morning. There is a picture of me in a hospital bed surrounded by unopened presents. And I'm just like, mm. not interested at all. Yeah. So they're, they're smaller memories because I was a smaller person. Mm -hmm. In terms of treatment, um, you know, you said that you you spent about uh, <clears throat> a year before going back to to school. Is that correct? Were you was yeah. it a year in hospital? No, you get to go home between rounds of treatment if your counts are good. <clears throat> so there mm -hmm. was some time at home, but I really couldn't go out and see friends because as immunocompromised as a person could get. Yeah. And you know how schools are germ factories. Yeah, so yeah. even when people would come visit me at home or in the hospital, they had to wear masks. Mm. So we've been masking up in this family for a lot yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Old news, old news. Uh, I, I'm curious if um, some, a thing that I think that we hear from time to time when we speak to like kids, people who had cancer um, as, as children um we sometimes hear this idea that they like it, it helped them like grow up, quote unquote, grow up faster. Um, when you're six, and I think that is usually attributed to like kids who are like maybe like 10 to 12, um, when maybe they have a better understanding of like really what they're going through. When you're six, um, do you feel like that experience in going through uh, a cancer diagnosis, um, like that it made you grow it. up faster? But looking back, I can see how it might have. Like I was always a more mature child and it might have been as a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't until I was like 12, 13 and really starting to think about that part of my history for what it was that I thought, oh man, guys, I got to tell you, one of my symptoms is brain fog and mm. wordonomia. 
and it just hit me like a wave. Like wherever that thread was going, <laughs> gone. <laughs> gone. <laughs> well, I, I, I just hypothesizing on that for for a minute. Like when you're a kid, I mean, one of the biggest, obviously, when you when you start to go to school as a kid, as like a when you start school, like primary, grade one, grade two, and stuff, like you are. You're learning stuff, obviously, but a big part of the importance of school is like the structure that it provides and that there's, you know, you're doing this for a period of time, then you're doing that for a period of time, then you get a break. And it's, it's a really like it's building structure and the importance of structure and sort of like embedding that into your brain subconsciously and oftentimes with a lot of resistance to, some, to a lot of kids as you get older. But and, and it's and imparting the importance of that is sort of a long is like a long game and when you get cancer as a kid and all of a sudden now you've got also, you still got a lot of structure in the terms of like the treatment and stuff that you've got to do. But like the structure is incredibly more important in the short term mm-hmm. instead of this like longer, Oh, over the next 10 years, we're going to impart this importance of structure. Now it's like, we need to do this. This is important right now. The outcome of your situation is it the structure that we are providing here has importance, you know, two weeks from now, not just, not just like once you go out and start living your life as an adult. So maybe there's something in that where maybe the gravity, whether it's imparted consciously or subconsciously as a child just has the, like a knock on effect on maturity mm-hmm. as you, as you get older. You just mm-hmm. blew my mind, man. I am such a now, now, now person. Mm-hmm. And I always have been. There's a dirty dish in the sink now. It's getting done now. Mm. Like nothing waits till later. It drives my husband batshit insane. Yeah. <laughs> Can't we just sit on the couch and watch an episode of TV? Yeah, my wife is the exact same. I also that also made me think of of the fact that like you know when you're six and you're in the hospital, um, one thing that you're you're missing out on is the opportunity to like play with other kids your age. Um, but on like the, the positive side of things in a way, um, I feel like I haven't really had many times where I've been in the hospital for an extended period of time, like maybe twice in my entire life where I've been in for like four or five days and and that's really the extent of it. But I, I found that like, even as a a kid and I'm, I'm curious, um, what your guys' experience have been like, because I know that pretty much all of you have spent more time in a hospital, but Um, I felt like even as like a young adult spending time in the hospital, I felt like it was this like really incredible learning experience. Like the conversations that are being had are like very mature and very informative and like very educational. Um, and there's a lot of like really important conversations, even if they're not necessarily about treatment protocols or they could be about like you know, the things that are what, like what's most important to you in your life. And you're, you have this time to like reflect on those things. Um, is like, does that, does that have an impact on, on what you value later in life? Do you think in terms of like, like this idea of like play versus education, like what becomes a priority? And do you think that it has a, has an impact on that? Um, I well, I've only spent time in the hospital as an adult, mm. really, and I will say that it definitely signaled to me how uh, how fleeting my independence can be. Mm. You know that I can go from <clears throat> being, you, you know, anything I can 
pretty much anything I can, I feel like I can accomplish on my own if I, if, if, if help isn't, isn't mm-hmm. available. And then all of a sudden going, holy shit, I, I need, you know, I need somebody to, mm-hmm. to bring me food mm-hmm. and, uh, I need somebody to give me medicine so that I don't squirrel around and in agony. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that was definitely like a big lesson. And I think that that has had an effect on me, like into the future, mm-hmm. although I was an adult when it happened. Yeah. Kim and Jared, for you guys, like, do you, like what, what do you feel like your relate? Like, was there any impact on your relationship to play? To play? No, I, not to play, but kind of getting at what you were just speaking to Taylor, like the point that a lot of people get to when they're in their late sixties, seventies, eighties, where they're really coming up against the face of mortality for the first time. Maybe their health is just generally declining or maybe they're being diagnosed with their first cancer Mm because now that the population is getting older, older and older, more and more people are getting cancer at that age. I reached that point like before I was even really a teenager. Like I Mm -hmm. grew up knowing that my health was a fickle, fleeting thing Mm -hmm. that might not always be there. And especially after my second diagnosis, I was like, well, shit. I got to live now. (laughs) So the second that I got my first big girl job and I I got like, I think a thousand dollars signing bonus. And I had been working for 10 years at that point, making all of that bank under the table, babysitting (laughs) all of my side jobs at restaurants and things. I bought a motorcycle. Oh, cool. (laughs) What kind of bike? A ninja. Whoa, no fucking around. Sweet. It was beautiful. Yeah. Kiki. I miss her. I had her for about four years. And my mom was like, what is that? No. I've got a lot of family that ride. I had a couple friends that rode, guys and girls. So it was a really nice experience. And I'm like, I don't know that I would have done that if I hadn't felt the pressure of, well, I don't know if, you know, 10 years from now when it makes more sense when I'm out of college, if that will be a possibility or not. That's very cool. I I know that... um, you know, so we've, we have so much to, to kind of cover. Um, and we've been, we've, we've only just really scratched the surface with the the leukemia at age six. Um, but before we move on to, to age 15, um, just wondering about the, uh, the moment that you were told that like you are in, you're now in remission. Um, like how quickly did you get to that point where you were, at that point, cancer-free, um, and and kind of like, you know, given the given the green light to like go go live your life as a child, go go make your you know make the most of your of your childhood while you while you can. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of quick because they take you off the chemo. They wait a certain amount of time. They wait a certain amount of time after the bone marrow transplant as well, and then they rescan you. They redraw blood work. And if everything looks good, they're like, we're pretty sure you're in remission. You're good to go. We're going to check you again in three months or six months or whatever have you. And at that point, it's a little more solidified. Mm. But getting back to normal life is kind of dependent on your immune system being built back up. So all of the Mm. shots that you get when you're a baby, I had to get again when I was seven years old. Oh, Oh, wow. Wild. Did you have to, were you in a bubble for a bit? Like, did you have a... At home. Bubble. And my... Parents, I mean, like, like a like a physical. Was going to work. He would wear a mask at home. Okay, like not like a physical plastic bubble. 
when you went outside. You want a bubble just, just put her in a ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah like a Zorb ball. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of think that that should be what they do because it's literally like the common cold kill you. Yeah, yeah. Situation. Yeah. yeah so, like, yeah. your folks were literally wearing masks and and shit, like yeah. while you were at home. Wow, that's so interesting. Luckily, my brother was young enough that like he wasn't even in daycare yet, so that yeah, wasn't right. concerning. I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. So nine years later, um, you you decide to cross that cancer bridge again, uh, fully by choice, 100%. Um, uh, what, uh, what happened when you were 15? Yeah, I was so close to being 10 years in remission. We were really looking forward to mm. celebrating that, but mm. haven't, didn't make it. Um, I was, you know... 15 into the hair and makeup stuff. So you're very like in tune with your body. And I, I just felt a lump on the side of my neck and we know all about lymph nodes, right? Having had cancer, like you're very in tune to lymph nodes. A lot of people on the street don't even know what a lymph node is and that their body is full of them. My mom's like, Oh, you're probably just getting a cold. Your lymph nodes are probably just enlarged. We'll let it go. Let it go like three, four weeks was still there. And I was like, it kind of feels bigger and I can like manipulate it. It's weird. Mm. So went and got a biopsy done at the same pediatric hospital. And I will never forget this. The result came back as dead salivary gland tissue. And they say they got it all. And I'm like, okay, well, if they're not concerned about it, that's weird that it's dead tissue from inside my body. Right. After that biopsy had healed up, it was only about an inch. I still felt the lump. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? You got everything. Like, can we go get a, another evaluation from someone else, please? And my parents lamented, took me in. They were like, it's probably nothing. But this guy had worked on me before. We knew him. We trusted him. Call him Cookie Monster around the hospital. That was his nickname. <laughs> he went back in and actually found the mass. And it came back as a tumor in my salivary gland called a mucoepidermoid carcinoma. And this particular tumor in cancer and location is common in 65 plus year old men. Whoa. Not in 15 year old girls. Whoa. They are thinking that the catalyst of chemo caused my secondary cancer because to date they haven't been able to genetically tie my three cancers together. So it's like you treat one thing, you get rid of that, and whatever happens down the line, so be it. We'll deal with it when we come to it. Wow. So then I went to an an ENT who went in and got the rest of it, and it was resting against my left main facial nerve. So there was a chance that I could come out of it with facial paralysis, at least partially. Mm. And this guy, he wrote the textbook on this tumor 
and happened to live in my state. Whoa. Could not have gotten luckier. Whoa. So he did such a good job. All I have today is a slightly crooked smile, but I do have nerve damage that affects my shoulder, the use of my shoulder. Um, I have pain as well and some atrophy in my back because everything is connected. Wow. That's so, uh, we, that's so crazy. We were talking to, uh, as people are listening to this, I don't know if this episode will be out already, but we were talking to somebody who, who's a pharmacist who, who, uh, works with, uh, with, with women with cancer. Came out last week. And, and, uh, and, and the, yeah, the, uh, the like treatment, like the post treatment of, uh, of, of cancer and, uh, and managing side effects from cancer treatment and stuff. Um, and, and that was one of the things that we kind of talked about was, was not specifically like a cancer coming from a chemo therapy for, for example, but, uh, in your case, but the idea that, you know, when you treat, when you treat somebody with drugs, those drugs have side effects and then you need to treat those side effects with sometimes with more drugs and, and you can get this sort of like cascading effect of, you know, drugs on drugs on drugs. And that's so wild. So that, so that's the, that's the, that's kind of the leading theory that the, that the chemo that you took as a six-year-old, uh, led to, led to this tumor. It gets crazier. It gets crazier. So they said there could be microscopic cancer cells left in there that we didn't get, but you know, I'm a cocky surgeon who wrote the textbook. So I feel like I got all of it, but you should still go consult with a radiologist because if this comes back, it will be directly on or in your facial nerve. And then if Whoa. we have to go back in there, a hundred percent will be damaged. And my parents were looking at my age, how much life I had ahead of me. And they said, we should probably do the radiation. And at the time, <clears throat> proton radiation was only available at like five places in the country. It was like Texas, Boston, Florida, you know, like making a giant circle around Delaware. So we had to drive eight hours each way to Boston. And they brought me home on the weekends because I was 15. I wanted to see my boyfriend. I wanted to see my friends. Uh, We did that commute for about five weeks uh, just to get the proton radiation where you can more precisely control the width and the depth Mm -hmm. to lessen the impact on other areas and potential for, you know, adding more catalysts. It's like but, a like a laser beam, right? Mm, They're shooting like yeah. a laser beam into you? Like if you've seen the video of people with the mesh masks mm, strapped yeah. to a table getting head and neck radiation, that was me. Mm. Yeah. We had a we had a guest on before with one of those masks and she brought it into That's the right. studio. And it, oh, right. It was like, oh. It looked like so something gnarly. out of a horror movie. Yeah. Did you yeah. keep your mask? Oh, I took it home. My friends and I had a bonfire and we burned it. Oh, nice. fuck yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And now in terms of like the, uh, again, kind of back to the the recovery of this and going into again remission, um, was this also sort of a quick experience in terms of like once they, once they figured it out, you had it and they went through it all, um, how fast was the turnaround before you started you know, receiving those words of like, you're in remission, you know, yeah. let's, let's push for those five and 10 year marks. I want to say my first biopsy was in December <clears throat> of my sophomore year of high school. I believe it was my sophomore year of high school. And I didn't finish radiation until September, October, like end of October, beginning of November of the following year. So again, it was like a 10, 11 month process I think technically after my third major surgery, um, 
that was the point of remission medically. And the radiation is just a let's cover our asses mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But that also had, you know, lasting impact on how my muscles feel over mm-hmm. here. It's hard as a rock. It's slightly discolored. And then what I was getting to about how it just keeps getting crazier. They think that the, that radiation caused my third cancer. No. Whoa. Because it was in my thyroid, which yeah. is right next door. Now, oh, the thyroid man. cancer, you're 29 years old now, right? Yes. And this is kind of recent. So you, you were diagnosed with thyroid cancer at 27? Yes, just before my 28th birthday. Yeah. So, oh, fuck, yeah. So, like, cancer. For that time, I made it to 10 years in remission. And yeah, yeah. It felt like a, a weight had come off. Mm. So, but, to find out that I had cancer again, it was, it was definitely more crushing. No doubt. The most crushing the third time. Yeah. Before we um, go into this third time, I'm, I'm curious how, it, like, from being 6 to 15, um, knowing that, like, once you have cancer, there's a potential that, you know, your cancer could come back, whether or not it's related to the first cancer or, or not. I'm curious how your um, thoughts about, like, the possibility of remission or, or a recurrence changed from that first bout of cancer to afterwards after the second time that you had it? Yeah. So when you're six, there's usually social workers in the hospital checking in with you, doing little games to make you talk about your feelings and making sure that you're just generally coping okay. When you're 15 and you start thinking about that, especially it being your second cancer, that shit put me in therapy for the first time, actual therapy. I I would just scream if someone asked me like a simple question at the dinner table. I remember doing that one night. I think I was getting hounded about a grade that I got on a test. I was like, well, I fucking have cancer. (laughs) My parents just sort of looked at each other. And then a week later, I got dropped out off at a therapist's office and they said, we'll pick you up in an hour. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, cause like I can't imagine how minuscule a grade must seem in comparison to, to they're thinking about long-term how important grades are for getting into Mm. college and, like being of the age that I am now, I completely understand mm. what they were doing. They're trying to put focus on those things and try and prevent me from feeling like a patient and a victim constantly mm. in my life. But that is something that I have grappled with forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you when you went to therapy <laughs> that first time, um, um, what was that experience like? As you know, a, a, basically a kid going to therapy. But you've all been teenagers. How much did you actually like to talk about your feelings as teenagers? <laughs> right? You come home, your parents would be like, how was your day at school? And you'd be like, fine. Go upstairs, throw the backpack down. So it, it took a while for me to open up to her. But she was kind of no nonsense and had also dealt with teenagers who had had cancer previously. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it worked. I <laughs> I definitely felt better after speaking with her behaviorally I improved I was crying myself to sleep like every night on the phone with my boyfriend putting Mm. I don't even understand the amount of pressure like what that must have felt like for him yeah but at the time I was diagnosed we had been together maybe six months and I had given him an out I was like 
bro, you don't need this shit. (laughs) (laughs) But he was a big fan of Nicholas Sparks, like walk to remember all of that. So he stuck around. (laughs) uh, (laughs) We stayed together for like three more years. We were together almost four years in total. Mm. Broke up in college. Mm. But yeah. That's that's kind of sweet. And now I've I've been to therapy so many times. Mm. It's, It's a wonderful thing. I feel bad for everyone who can't find a therapist right now who really mm. needs to talk to one because totally. the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. We all need someone to talk to about it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, there's there's definitely a shortage. Um uh let's let's dive into the thyroid cancer. What um you know what was what were the first signs and how did you you know like how did you how did you handle all that? Yeah this one was weird. There were no signs. Um after this had been under control, sorry, I'm pointing at my salivary gland, had been under control for a number of years. Um, I used to go for MRIs every two or every three years. The first time they cranked it up to a five-year interval, so I had waited five years, that scan found the thyroid cancer. So Mm. I was living in London. My husband and I moved to London at the end of 2018, and we came back uh, for Christmas at the end of 2019. Um, and while we're home, I do all of my doctor's appointments. We're lucky enough to have international health insurance. So I could choose whether to get care in London or in the U S but when they called and said, Hey, are you still in the country? We need you to come back. I was like, what the hell? They're like, we Mm. found a mass in your thyroid. And like, there's really no way that this isn't thyroid cancer. We're really sorry. We're going to do a fine needle aspiration biopsy. So like you're awake, it's minimally invasive to confirm while you're still here. So they had to fit me in like literally less than 24 hours before my flight back to London. So Uh. on the plane, I was holding my breath because I knew when we landed, I would have a voicemail telling me what the biopsy confirmed and it confirmed it. And that's a long flight to hold your breath for the entire time. That's wild that you were yeah. even capable of doing that. Probably had something to do with the elevation or something that made that possible, but yeah. crazy. You must um, be a David Blaine fan. Yeah, fuck. Mm. Like, to hold your breath for least, that long. Very yeah. specific reference. Um, uh, that, so you, you land in London, <laughs> and I take it, you know, you get the news. You're, you're now in a country that, you know, is, is kind of new for you. Like, what... What, what do you have to do? Like, do you have, do you have to just fucking come straight back home? We pretty much did. They didn't want to wait because they confirmed that it had started spreading to my lymph nodes. So mm. in addition to a total thyroidectomy, I also had 27 lymph nodes removed, Whoa. which they call a right compartmental neck dissection. Holy shit. How many lymph nodes do you have? Yeah. In your body? Oh, I think it's close to a thousand, if not more. Oh, okay. What? It's, I didn't it's know that. a lot. Okay. Yeah. So you have them in your neck, um, like under your chest region, in your armpits is a huge area, behind your knees, in your ankles. The lymphatic system is all over. Oh, yeah. Humans, uh, it's not quite a thousand, but humans have approximately 500 to 600 lymph nodes distributed oh, through the that's body. That's wild. I didn't I had no idea. Much. I thought it was like, we have eight. Yeah. I thought it was like, <laughs> you know? I thought it was like 20. Yeah. <laughs> fuck, that's crazy. <laughs> That's so many lymph nodes. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, that just like I can just I'm just imagining everybody hearing you go. 
That's so many lymph nodes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it like, is. Oh, it sounds like we're hot. Yeah, so dude. many it's lymph so crazy. nodes, bro. Um, so you had a full, um, sorry, you said thyroidectomy. I, I take it that they just took out. The whole thyroid. Whole, it's whole a thyroid. small butterfly-shaped thing that sits at the base of the front of your neck. Mm. It's what actually is your, quite small. What does your thyroid do? Everything. Okay. I yeah. prepped for this. <laughs> here we go. Here we I go. have yeah. notes. This is it. This is it. <laughs> so your thyroid is part of your endocrine system, which everyone's probably heard of. It's like mainly associated with hormones and metabolism and things like that. So mm-hmm. I came up with a factory because I know a factory analogy, because I know that this is like a lot of medical info I'm about to dump. But if you take this analogy, the pituitary gland, that's it's a tiny little thing that sits in your brain is the general manager running the show. It tells every other part of the endocrine system what to do. So if that's not happy, ain't nothing happy. But the thyroid is the foreman on the factory floor. Nothing is getting done without it say so. So I fucking I like love analogies. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> and good ones too, since yeah. Brian's usually poor. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, your pituitary gland puts out thyroid stimulating hormone. So that's why I said like it is the gen- general manager and nothing gets done without its say so. And then your thyroid, when it's stimulated, puts out two main hormones, which if they're not there or they're not balanced, can ruin your fucking life as I'm mm. experiencing now. Mm. They're called T4 is the main one and T3 is the other one. Those are like the short term for them. And then your body is responsible for taking some of the T4 that your thyroid produces and getting converting it to more T3 of however much your body thinks it needs. So there's something in there that is driving the balance. That part I don't understand. But that's why when you have a thyroidectomy like I did, if your body sucks at that T4 to T3 conversion, then all they put you on after a thyroidectomy typically is T4 because that's the big one. Mm. If your body sucks at that conversion, then you're not getting enough T3. And I felt like they had removed half of my brain. Oh, wow. It, it felt like a traumatic brain injury. I, I've been trying for like 18 months now to put into words for HR at work, for my coworkers, my yeah. family, my husband, what it feels like to go from someone who is incredibly organized, driven, motivated, has a normal energy level to someone who can't remember how to make a bowl of cereal can't finish a sentence, can't remember a word like simple. I forgot the word simple the other day. I was like, mm. what's that? It means uncomplicated. Mm. It starts with an S. And like, this is happening to me at work. So I feel like I look like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. What, it's what other, wait, 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 wait. When you say you can't make, like forget how to make a bowl of cereal. Like it well, seems, she, what she means is that like, she put she she pours milk first, okay. which is <laughs> fucking what, insane. I you know, know? <laughs> like that's it's what I was picturing. totally totally fucking crazy. That's what I was picturing. Uh, what comes after and the milk. God knows that that is that. I mean, that would be the hardest thing in the world for me. Like yeah. if I just started pouring milk first, I would. Yeah, I, we only eat. I'd have to tap it. Does that affect? Like uh, I know we were talking about this before we started recording, but like you work in cybersecurity. Like I mean, if you can't make a bowl of cereal, can you? Yeah, how are you gonna ha- how are you gonna hack world? how are you gonna hack Putin's computer if you can't <laughs> if you can't make cereal? No. <laughs> the other like main thing that thyroid imbalance can cause is anxiety mm. and elevated heart rate. 
So I went from someone who had been cool as a cucumber, apart from like having to go to therapy after cancer number two, like cool as a cucumber with my situation and just had everything mostly together to having panic attacks over being asked Mm. to do simple things at work. Mm. I had never experienced a panic attack before. So I have gone on short-term disability leave three times in the past two years while trying to figure this out. And I am very fortunate to have a team that is supportive of that, found coverage, to have be in a company where we have a lot of short-term disability time available to us if we Mm. need it Mm. um, and not really have it affect my life, um, my income drastically because I I really needed it. I really needed the time off, especially to experiment with different treatment options for replacing my thyroid hormones because it took until this just past September to start trying combination therapy at the same time, which is where they give you some T3 in addition to T4. And I now feel the closest that I have been to what I felt like before thyroidectomy. Mm. The weight started falling off that I had gained. I gained about 20 pounds since my thyroid came out. My hair is starting to come back. I am much less anxious, much less irritable. Your thyroid also controls your mood. So I was actually a bitch Mm. (laughs) 18 months after my thyroid came out. I was awful. I had no energy after I had lunch every day around three o'clock. I just felt like I needed a nap, which when you're working full time, what are you going to do? Yeah. How does that affect, what kind of strain did that put on your relationship with your, with your husband? Oh, he is the most supportive man in the entire world. And can, I can tell him anything. He can tell me anything and whatever help I say that I think I need, even if I can't formulate it into words, he is on it. Hmm. So there was definitely strain from me being an irritable person. Like previously I was very, you know, just jovial all the time. I mean, I kind of have a dry sense of humor and he's like, I think, one of only two men in the world who find me funny, which is why I married him <laughs> to just someone who would snap, who couldn't take a joke, didn't want to make jokes, mm. wanted to sleep all the time. He was living with a different person. Um, so it definitely had an, an impact, but because of who he is, mm. I mean, we've come through that and it's, it's not an issue. Yeah. Thank goodness. My, but I can uh, see how it would. My, uh, <clears throat> Kyla, my wife has a has a, has hypothyroidism and has had it since she was since she, since she was like a really small kid and um and it, it is it is kind of it is really crazy how many how many functions your thyroid is responsible for or affects insane and like how and how um I mean specifically in her case it's probably less so in in yours cuz you don't have a thyroid where hers is kind of being managed with medication because it's not doing its job either well enough or too well um and and how that changes over time and it becomes sort of this like kind of gradual shift to a different mood or a different energy level and then and then how it's regulated with medication is kind of it it kind of it has um similarities to how uh like um antidepressants or or anti-anxiety medication can can work in the way that if you don't get the balance 
if you don't get the balance right, then it it's it like comes out in the way that you are. You know, it's yeah. it's not like um, it's not. And you like, have to wait like six weeks before yeah. you're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I'm now at this level. Is this level working for me or not? Yeah. Okay, we'll tinker yeah. with the meds. Yeah, you don't just and like even take slight the changes in the meds have exponential impacts. Yeah. yeah. One way or the other. What are some of the things that uh, you, uh, I'm, I've lost the word of what you use there, but do you say combination therapy or something like that? Like what, yeah. yes. what is, what are the things that you're doing to try and now regulate this? Um, the fact that you're, you're, you're no longer, um, you're no longer like processing these hormones the way that your body naturally would with a thyroid. Yeah. So that's the thing, not having a thyroid because of thyroid cancer. Sometimes they will remove your thyroid if you are hyperthyroidic because Taylor in your wife's case, she can just take some thyroid hormone because it's not producing enough. But if you're, you have an overactive thyroid, they, they will radiate your thyroid. They will remove your thyroid. Like those are really the only options. It's a lot more drastic, but if you have had thyroid cancer and you have your thyroid removed, then there could still be microscopic thyroid cancer cells in your neck, which could grow into thyroid cancer again, even though you don't have a thyroid. They come up in like these nodules. So I actually still have thyroid cancer because mine survived surgery and radioiodine. That's the other weird thing about your thyroid. It runs on iodine, Hmm. which is in like seafood. It's in dairy products. In the US, we iodize our table salt. In the mm-hmm. UK, they didn't. So That's I kind right. of blame the UK for my thyroid cancer coming up. Just, <laughs> just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, it, it's essential for thyroid function. So when you are getting radio iodine, they are relying on your thyroid's ability to uptake iodine to get that radiation in there and just target that organ in your body. So I took a radioactive pill full of radioactive iodine that came out of like a cement centrifuge. Like no lie, a guy came in in like a full radiation proof suit with like two foot long tongs, took this vial with the liquid and the pill out of this, this cement brick. And it was like, okay, drink it. (laughs) No, What did that shit taste like? (laughs) Nothing. Tasted like water. It's crazy. crazy. That's fucking super wild. So gnarly. Yeah. That's super. Like, like what would have happened if he didn't come in like that? You know, like his yeah. eyes melt out and fucking. Ah! Uh-huh. It's probably just the constant exposure, like the same way like an X-ray tech like has to like, yeah yeah yeah, you know, yeah suit up and yeah, those like wanna... you know for you. I mean, obviously you're consuming it, but like if if like <laughs> yeah you're uh, drinking that's it, fucked yeah, up. that's fucking yeah. crazy. It is fucked up. I uh, I'm I'm wondering, um, you know the the ways that you have, because this is reminding me of the conversation we had last week, um, which was about cancer recovery and, and things that people can do in recovery to manage things like, like you had mentioned, like weight gain and, and, you know, like regaining energy and, and stuff like that. So like what, from a holistic sense, sense, like what, what are the things that you're doing to regain control of your body and, and find, you know, rediscover yourself and who you are. So I exercise regularly now, which Mm. is not something I did before. It helps with the weight, especially now that I'm on the right meds. Before I started combination therapy, even though I had started exercising to try and improve my mood, I was still gaining weight. Mm. So exercise primarily, spending time outdoors, 
being more in tune with where my anxiety level for the day is at and just how Mm -hmm. I'm feeling and not pushing myself to like do things like household chores that don't need to get done when I'm already feeling like that so that I don't push myself further into irritability mode, I'll Mm -hmm. call it. Mm -hmm. Just you have to be very in tune, especially when you're changing dosage, like trying new dosages. How is this affecting me? Um, Thyroid stuff shows up in the weirdest places. Like, you know how your nails have this, this crown to them, this roundness. Mm -hmm. I have two fingernails that have started going flat since my thyroid was removed. And I looked it up and that is related to hormonal imbalance. So literally like in the tiniest ways all throughout your body, there can be impacts. So I'm, I'm hyper in tune to what I need and doing my own research because no doctor, this is kind of like my gripe about the lack of holistic practice that I've experienced in the U S and in the UK. That's the other thing we didn't talk about. Like I got diagnosed right before lockdown. So I flew back to the U S got my thyroid removed, came back to the UK and then the world closed. So I got radio iodine in London. Wow. But yeah, um, it's just, it's, it's been a wild ride. How how does like, since your, your third bout of cancer, um, how has your, I'm curious about therapy and like how the conversation with your therapist changes, um, you know, with this monumental sort of life, life shift. The focus initially was on anxiety because that's what I was experiencing as a symptom of the thyroidectomy as well as depression. Uh, there have been so many clinical studies, um, of thyroid cancer and the after effects of thyroidectomy and TSH suppression, which I haven't even talked about yet. I, I definitely started getting there and now I'm seeing that I lost that thread as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but thyroid cancer impacts women almost, uh, well, thyroid imbalance impacts women 10 times more than men on average. So we tend to get thyroid cancer more often. So any clinical trials, studies, research that's being done is primarily being done on women. And now that I've started researching and trying to help myself and find new things to try, I'm finding what I'm experiencing, the anxiety, the depression is all being replicated by all of the other people who've had this this procedure. So I'm like, why? You took my thyroid out. Shouldn't I have been given like a a number to call for a Mm. therapist or here's the packet (laughs) of things you need to look out for and what you can try to help with them. It's all just been like kind of swinging out a pinata with a blindfold on as things come up. Mm. And sleep, um, uh, sleep, sleep is something that, that, um, that my partner had has insomnia. a big issue with. And mm. I mean, when you're thinking about the holistic impact of sleep, whether you're getting enough of it or not enough of it, I mean, if you're not getting enough sleep, that basically puts you at risk of basically everything that you could possibly get sick from on planet Earth mm-hmm. of increasing that risk. I mean, sleep is so important and it's a and and your thyroid has a big impact on how you sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I definitely experienced that. So the the thread that I lost was about when your thyroid is removed because of cancer, they then start you on TSH suppression therapy. So that thyroid stimulating hormone that your pituitary gland produces, they don't want it to produce it anymore because it would Mm. encourage the cancer cells to come back. So what I started finding was that TSH suppression 
and the longer that you're on it, which is basically just taking a high enough dose of T4 that your pituitary gland is like, all right, cool. I don't need to do anything. I'll kick back. Thyroid's got this under control. Um, it causes brain fog and wordonomia and depression and a few other key things that impact the quality of your life. And those are what I am struggling with the most right now is actually a result more of being TSH suppressed than imbalance. Because now mm. that I'm on the combination therapy, I definitely feel better. I feel more balanced, but TSH is, I'm working with my endocrinologist now to tinker with my dosage of T4 just a little bit more. Because mm. what research has shown is you need to balance the risk of having the cancer return, AKA letting your TSH level rise a little bit with the quality of life that you need in order mm. to have a job, to sustain a marriage, to sustain friendships, to not feel depressed. Um, they've tried to put me on antidepressants like three times in the past two years. I'm like, mm. I know I don't need them. Mm. It's, it's not up here. It's because of here. If we mm. can get this hormone imbalance ironed out, I won't be depressed anymore because I don't have a depressed brain. Mm. I never have. Even you would think if I had a depressed brain, it probably would have come up during cancers one and two. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious, is that like, so is that like the sort of forever challenge, um, after having your thyroid be. removed? Yeah. Taylor, I don't know what your wife's experience has been, but from what I hear, like, it's not like you nail the dosage and then that's what your body needs forever. Your, as your body's needs change, your dosage will, will no longer work for you. Mm, yeah. And then you have to find out what you do. So this is going to be a forever thing. And I'm just happy that, you know, it's only taken two years to get here. I'm yeah. sure that a lot of people struggle for a lot longer because they, they don't know where to look. I have been researching my own medical issues yeah. for 20 years now. Yeah, you're, Man. you're, you see, I mean, you come across as a really great patient, you know, like a, a patient that. Or a pain that, in the ass. <laughs> yeah, depending on who you ask. But I mean, like, you know, the patient that, that even, even in the face of knowing that, you know, there, there seems to be this like lack of support in, in the way that treatment comes about. Like, yes, the doctors are there. Um, but we all know this, like their, their prerogative isn't after, after your home. Their prerogative no. is like, get this cancer, fucking get rid of it. We got rid of it. She's good. Let her go. And get out my door. Yeah, yep. exactly. And, and for a lot of people, once that's over, you know, the, the, the work for them even ends. And, and even though that's not where it should end, like, and, and, and although we do need, we need some sort of like, like cancer aftercare, like yes. regulated cancer aftercare that is implemented into our healthcare systems until that happens. Using this research. Exactly. Yeah. Available in space. Yeah. yeah. And until that happens, like really we, we, we need more patients like yourself who, who are going to put in the work and, and take this into their own hands and, and, you know, hopefully it's not too much of a burden because it, it is a lot of fucking work and it does sound exhausting, but Hey, at, le you have at least you're doing it. Yeah. And yeah. executive dysfunction brought on by the treatment that yeah. you just received. It's a nearly impossible ask 
Yeah. For pouring, someone to self-direct their care that way. Yeah. Jeez, as yeah. soon as you start pouring the milk first, it's like, fuck yeah. me. Yeah. It's an uphill it's, battle. It's, it's, somebody it's with, worse than that, guys. <laughs> yeah. I would say I want a bowl of cereal. How do I make that happen? How do I, what do I need? I you just need, start pouring it on a, a plate. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. I need a bowl. Yeah. What else do I need? Like, yeah. Oh you hit a wall at every point. Dude, yeah, that's why, like, it, that's a ma- obviously executive dysfunction is like one of the biggest <clears throat> challenges of ADHD. And, and that's what I have in the sense that, like, you look at a task, like, even doing the dishes, and like, your brain goes, Whoa, I can't do the dishes because that would mean that I would have to get the soap, put the soap in the sink, find a dishcloth, do this. But, like, you can't, you, you can't logically put all the steps together to get that one task done that it just becomes so overwhelming. And then the next thing you know, it's impossible. Yeah. You have like, you have like paralysis of the, yeah. of the brain and even trying to do it. And then the next thing you know, the backseat of your car is just a, a garbage like yeah. dump. Yeah. You know, well, just, I wouldn't yeah. know anything about that. And then you live in a trash can. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, don't I don't envy you, man. <laughs> I've only been dealing with it for like 18 months. <laughs> Kim, I'd love to know what you think the biggest thing that your cancer has taken away from you. So I know that you guys always ask this question and I know that being a brain foggy person, being put on the spot, I would probably forget my answer. So I did write it down. Um, Any sense of control or predictability in my life, but that has kind of given me my personality. I talked before about like being very type A organized driven. Like I don't waste time on doing anything. Mm. Um, so it, it's, it's taken away something that is very big for a lot of people, especially people like me, but it's also kind of given me the freedom to like, not to sound like Tim McGraw, but live like I was dying, so to speak. Mm. <laughs> it's very, I mean, it's hard to not sound Tim, like Tim McGraw when you say, <laughs> when you say that, but <laughs> I do get it. Yeah. It makes well, sense. <laughs> uh, I mean, my, and my second question was going to be, what, what has it given you? But that's, uh, I think you just, you nailed it right there. Kim, yeah. Kim, you're, uh, you're an absolute delight. And, and we're, we're so grateful that you applied to be on the show and that, uh, you took time out of your schedule to sit down with us in spite of the brain fog, in spite of the, the challenges with cereal. Um, we, we we're so grateful for you and thank you for sharing your experience. And I hope that, I hope that, you know, anybody out there listening who, um, who has been through something like this, you know, like I, and not to put you on the spot, Kim, but like, um, let us know. And, and we, I would love to like connect you. With, I want people to talk to about this. Yeah. I've yeah. never met anyone with a situation like mine yeah, and because of privacy regulations and things like that, unless someone sets up a dating site for people who want to talk about their cancers with other people with cancer, yeah, yeah. there's really no way to make the connection. Yeah. So, this so if you are one of those people, <laughs> Discord, our discord server, that's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Join our discord and we can have, we can figure that out. Kim, uh, thank you again. This has been such a treat. Thank you. Thank you guys for the opportunity and thank you for what you do. Because destigmatizing these conversations, not having my friends tense up when I bring up the C word, that's the place that I hope to get to in the world as well. So I really like your mission. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Boy, howdy. That was our conversation with Kim. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And if you'd like to join the post-episode discussion over on Discord, 
You can do so by clicking the link in the show notes. If you'd like to support the podcast even more, you can do so by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or make sure you're following on Spotify. If you are writing a list of all the things you need to do right now, then you can also add to it, apply to be a guest on the show, which you can do so by going to sickboypodcast.com and filling out a guest application form. And if you feel like you just haven't gotten enough of doing things that somebody told you to do during the credits of a show, then you can also write us a letter at letters at sickboypodcast.com. Honestly, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you and we love each and every one of you. And I also wanted to say thank you to the folks that make the show happen, like Donovan, the Meerkat Morgan, who does the amazing sound design that you're hearing on the show right now, who made it sound like I almost fucked up saying the intro to thanking him, which is crazy that he can do that. And uh, thank you so much to Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery. I couldn't do this without you guys, obviously. And thanks to Jeff Lonis, our manager, and to take part for the theme music. That is it for today. I'm Brian, and this is Sick Boy Podcast. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.